2 Corinthians chapter number 8, the scripture says this, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I preach to you that Jesus' followers serve. Jesus' followers commit. And uh, now I'd like to share with you the theme, Jesus' followers sacrifice. Father, thank you for revealed truth that's intended to change our hearts. When we believe the truth, this book doesn't contain the truth. It is the truth. For the word is living. It is alive. It is a person. It's not a concept. It's you. And so we thank you, living word, for revealing yourself to us. May we grow in revelation, transformation, and illumination. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You have a worksheet like we've given you the last couple of Sundays that helps you kind of uh, make sure you follow along and learn because you'll forget 90% of what you hear by this time tomorrow. But if you write down the things that you're hearing and and uh, re- it will reinforce what you hear, and you'll retain over a third of what you hear today. And uh, you'll be able to go back and review that sheet and then capture all of what you've heard today. But Dad shared how he took his young son to McDonald's and ordered him a large order of French fries, the way I like them, hot, steaming hot. And you know how good McDonald's French fries smell, Right? He says, as he sat down and was watching his son eat them, he instinctively reached over and grabbed one of them. And his son pushed his hand away and said, Dad, you can't have these. These are mine. They're my fries. (laughs) And the dad said, three thoughts immediately went through my mind. One, I realized my child had forgotten I'm the source of his fries. I'm the one who bought his McDonald's. I'm the one who walked up to the counter. I paid for the fries with my money. He doesn't realize that without me, he would have no fries. I'm the source of fries. The second thing he he thought was, dad said, my son has forgotten I control the fries. I could take them away from him instantly and say, all right, no more fries for you. On the other hand, if I wanted to, I could buy them an entire truckload of fries. I could bury him in fries if I wanted to. And he said, number three, I realized I don't need his fries. I could buy my own. I could easily hop in the car and go around to the drive-thru and buy myself some fries. But what I really want is for my son to learn to be unselfish. And those are the three reasons God wants us to learn to be generous, sacrificial, Generosity is the most talked about value in the entire Bible. Let me give you the stats. The word faith or its variations are used 246 times in Scripture. The word hope, another important word in our Christian walk, is used 185 times. The word love, which is obviously a very important word to those of us who are believers, is used 733 times in Scripture. The word give or giving is used 2,285 times in the Scripture. 
The Bible talks more about give and giving than any of the other issues. Why? Because giving is the expression of faith, of hope, and of love. Carl Menninger, the distinguished psychiatrist who founded the Menninger Clinic, he said, quote, giving is an important criterion of mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. Well, so we're, we want to be one of the most generous churches that I know of. And we all need to be reminded to be generous <clears throat> because we can do better than we have. And we've done well, but we can do better. So today, in the best interests of the mental health of that person sitting next to you, I want to quickly give you the eight benefits of learning to be a generous person, eight benefits of learning to be unselfish, what it does for your heart, what it does for you. Then we're going to look at Jesus' generosity and what he's done for all of us. Amen? So why does God want me to be generous? Why? That's not new conceptually in terms of what the Bible has said from square one. We've all heard much of this, but I've been a follower for years, and I need to be reminded. Why do I need to be reminded? Because we all have good forgetters. We have the amazing ability to forget something that we know is true. So I need, you need to be reminded over and over of biblical principles so that we don't forget. That's why God repeats himself over and over in the scripture, because we have a tendency to push that stuff off the front burner. First of all, giving makes me more like my father. Giving makes me more like my father. The Bible says God is a giver. James 1 and 5, God gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. So if you're going to be like God, you're going to have to learn how to give. And the Bible says God so loved the world that he what? Gave. So if you want to learn to be a great lover, you've got to be, learn to be a great giver because love and giving go together. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving, right? When I first fell in love with my wife, I couldn't keep any money in my pocket. It was like spending stuff on her all the time. I'd see an ad and I'd buy her something, right? Even the day after being married all these years, I love to buy my wife stuff. I do. And we have a really great agreement. I like to buy her stuff, and she likes me to buy her stuff. <laughs> it's a really good deal, right? Works really well. It's because... <laughs> You cannot love without giving. First Chronicles 29, everything we have has come from you, Lord, and we can only give you what is yours already. In other words, all the French fries in the world and everything else belong to God. Every time I'm generous, I grow more like my father. Every time you're generous, you grow more like your heavenly father. And second, giving draws me closer to God. The Bible says where your heart is, that is where your treasure is. Jesus very specifically hammered that home. Where's your heart? It's wherever your treasure is, wherever you put your money. If your money is in an investment, that's where your heart is. If your money is in your house or homes, that's where your heart is. If your money is in a boat or a career or a hobby or anything else, that's where your heart's gone. 
The Bible says that money is like a magnet. Wherever we put it, it pulls our hearts. When I give money to God, it's like a magnet. It pulls me closer to him, to God. And God doesn't need our money. He can buy all the French fries he wants. What he wants is what it represents. It represents your heart. The Bible says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And that means every time I give, it draws me closer to God. Giving is spiritual aerobics. It's good for the heart. It enlarges your heart. It makes you stronger. And those of you who are parents, don't you enjoy watching your kids be unselfish? Sure, you like to see your kids be generous, watch your kids share their toys. You like them to be giving. You, you like that. So does God when he's watching you and watching your children. When God looks at you and he sees you generous, giving, he sees you sharing what he gave you in the first place. He said, that's my boy. That's my girl. You're doing what I ask you to do. You're growing. You're not only being drawn closer to me, you're growing more like me every day. Giving pleases God because it's an act of worship. It brings God pleasure when you give because you're being more like him. And nobody is more generous than God. I want to be more like him. Third, giving breaks the grip of materialism. Would you agree that we live in a very materialistic culture? It's an understatement, actually, particularly here in California, where the goal is to get more and more, and the one with the most toys still dies, okay? And the idea is I've got to have it all, I want it all, I'm going to spend it all and grab all, especially at Christmas now. We've already entered into the season, and you're going to get deluged with all the catalogs and all the advertisements, and you think, how did I ever live without this? (laughs) We live in a very materialistic culture. And you may not realize it, but California is listed as one of the wealthiest states in America and one of the least generous in America. Wouldn't have thought that, right? Not us. Oh, yeah. We're one of the wealthiest, but nearly the last in charitable giving. The average California resident gave four-tenths of 1% to church or charity last year. The average California resident gave four-tenths of 1% to church or charity. And that's what makes Calvary Christian Center kind of an unusual pocket in the middle of a culture that's not generous. This is an oasis of generosity and a sea of selfishness. Would you agree that in that kind of culture, it's difficult to keep your values in the right place? It's hard sometimes when you see everybody else looking for more, scrambling for more. Well, what's the antidote? How do I keep myself from becoming so materialistic that I become uncharitable? There's only one antidote to that. Give. It's the antidote to materialism. The essence of materialism is to get more. So every time I give, I'm breaking the grip of materialism in my life. It's a spiritual victory when that breaks. It's countercultural in its move. It says, no, I'm not buying into the myth that life consists in all that I can accumulate. I don't buy into that your net worth and self-worth are the same thing. 
you break through that, and you have victory every time you give. You say, but I, 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 can I just not spend, and then I won't be as materialistic? <laughs> well, even some savers I know are materialistic. You've heard about people who won't spend anything. They live in a little shack, and they've got $2 million piled up in some bank account that they're hoarding away. That's materialism also. It's the same thing, same spirit. The only antidote to materialism is to give. Every time I give, I break the grip of materialism. Jesus said in Matthew, you cannot serve both God and money. In other words, I'm going to have to choose what's number one in my life. And and whenever I give, there's a spiritual victory, and I have a breakthrough every time I do that. That's why Satan fights this so hard. 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich, it begins by saying. That's everybody in the room, not just a few people who have more than average. Everybody in the room, command those that are rich. We live in California. We are rich compared to the rest of the world. The poorest of the poor in America is rich compared to many parts of the world. Most of the world would love to have our problems. What, what they're worried about is where the next meal is going to come from. And many have no place to lay their head comfortably or safely at night. And this verse is talking to every one of us in the room. Even if you're out of work, you're an American, and your standard of living is still higher than the rest of the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So you look at the word enjoyment, our enjoyment, two words, circle it. And then to share, two words, to share, circle those two words. That's what God wants us to do with what he blesses us with. God wants us to enjoy it, and he wants us to share it. And those of you who are parents, I want to challenge you. Let your children see you sacrifice. Let your children see you give. They see you make money. They see you spend money. They see you enjoy your money. Do they ever see you giving your money away? And that's why I encourage you before Sunday rolls around, explain tithing with your children. Sit down with them and say, this is what we're doing for the house of God. This is what you're going to put in your offering today. Teach it by modeling for them. Giving is an act of worshiping God. I wanted my children to learn to be unselfish, and I want them to teach their children also to learn to sacrifice. Because one of the kids, I remember in Reality Kids several weeks ago, made me a little card, and and there was a dollar bill attached to it. Now, most of the time, there's this heavy competition in there with their giving between the boys and the girls for Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, BGMC, because they're teaching them to give to missions. This kid brought me a card with a dollar attached to it and, and just simply said, handing it to me, just a little little kind of a, a card you print words on. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a birthday card or anything like that, just a not fancy. It's an index card with a dollar attached to it and said, please, Pastor, this is for the new building. I said, wow. Yeah. They know they need a new place too. 
They're getting the picture. In this age, it's difficult to raise kids and not have them spoiled. The only way you can do that is you teach them how to be givers. You model that for them. You show the next generation, this is what God tells us to do, and this is how we live. Now, four, giving strengthens my faith. Because sooner or later, you've got to decide, can God be trusted with my finances? Can he be counted on to keep his promises? You've got to decide that. I've shared many times that there are more promises in the Bible about giving than any other singular topic. And God says, if you do this, then I will do that. Where it says in 2 Corinthians 9, your giving proves the reality of your faith. In other words, it demonstrates it. The word says giving proves how much faith we really have. In the Bible, there's only one way that we can prove God. Malachi 3, he says, here's how you can prove me, put me to the test, tithe. It's the only place and way in the Bible where God puts out that kind of challenge. It's like the Pepsi challenge verse. I dare you, tithe. Take the first 10% of everything you make, give it to me, and see if I won't care about your needs and bless your life. He says, I dare you. He throws down the gauntlet, and he says, test me in this. Prove me, says the Lord. It's the only way you can prove that God exists, and he is who he says he is. Take the challenge. Take the tithing challenge. Say, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I know, it's stretching of our faith. Yes, there will be testimonies as a result of that. And there are stories of people saying, here's the miracle that happened in my life when I chose to start chose to start tithing, and I chose to start giving when I decided to put God first. Giving strengthens my faith. Give not with regret or out of a sense of duty, for God loves the one who gives gladly. And God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more, so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. So God's saying that when you give, get excited about it. I'm excited when I give because I know my father. I'm eager to give because I'm always wondering, what are you going to do in my life this week? So amazing what you do. When I give, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It stretches my faith. It helps me to grow like my dad. So we need to understand if we're ever going to be a follower, it's part and parcel to who we are. Many times in our lives, for the rest of our lives, There'll be special and significant times when God calls us, challenges us to give sacrificially over and above our normal tithe. When we have special guests like uh, the Smiths that are going to be with us next Sunday night, and we're going to help them with some of the great projects they have in Ecuador. They're more than just missionaries that we support in our church. They're family. They grew up here in this area. Uh, Jerry's a part of our culture and part of our church. See, and God calls on us to make choices, to make a difference in the lives of helping other people. It'll happen many, many times that God will tap you as a follower of Jesus and a dedicated Christian. When those times come up, we're challenged to give more than our tithe. Then just get ready for another miracle. Get ready for an adventure because God always has us on one. I've been following Jesus for, my goodness, over six decades. And each time I've, I've been challenged to give above the tithe, I've grown more. Don and I continue with our giving above our tithe every week. Why? We sacrifice 
for three reasons. I want to keep growing. I want to grow. I want to develop spiritual muscle. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be stronger spiritually going out than when I began. I'm not going to live off of commitments I made 20, 30, 40 years ago. And we've all heard those. Well, back in 1995, I trusted God, and I've been coasting ever since. No, I want God to challenge me more. I want to see bigger miracles. I want to see him do more in my life. I love to grow. I love to develop. I don't want to coast and be stuck in the past with a commitment I made decades ago. We're giving because I want you to know as your pastor, I'm never going to ask you to sacrifice more than I do. That's my goal, that I will sacrifice more than anybody does in this family. No one's going to sacrifice more than us. And as leaders, we're leading the way with you because Donna and I have learned we cannot outgive God. Can't do it. And every time we make that commitment and we follow through on it, God always blesses us in return. He always does. It's exciting watching what he's going to do next. I've learned over the years when I try to outgive God, I hear my father say, You lose. <laughs> It's a fun game. I learned it from my own earthly father because he loved playing that kind of game with my heavenly father, and it's a fun game. I like it because I love hearing him say, you lose, that's good. Five, he's the only one I want to ever hear that from, you lose. Number five, giving is a test of my maturity. Giving is a test of my maturity. We've spoken about how life is a test, and one of the things that God tests here on earth is our maturity. He'll test it. He will push it. Over, uh, one of the ways he tests our maturity is through finances. And why through finances? Because we spend so much of our time thinking about money, making money, saving money, spending money, using money, investing money. We build lives around money. It's so much the core of our thinking patterns. God says we're going to use that as the acid test of our responsibility and God will test our maturity in this area many times. And every time you bristle, well, we fail the test. And every time we smile and say, yes, sir, you gave it, it's yours, that's where you want it, that's where it's going, you pass the test. The Bible says this in Luke 16, if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, that means you don't manage it the way I want it managed then who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? Eh? Rhetorical question. You see the implication in there? He said, if I'm, if I'm not faithful with my money on earth, he's not going to trust me with greater spiritual responsibility in heaven. That's serious stuff because this is not just the here and now. This is forever. And Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven. It's a very important matter to him. He spoke more about money than he does about hell. And over half of the parables are about money management in Scripture. Why? Because God has chosen to use it as the acid test of our spiritual maturity. How mature are we? If you really want to know, this is the test that will reveal all about spiritual maturity. Number six, giving is an investment for eternity. And you've heard me say that many times. You can't take it with you. You can send it on ahead. Amen? The way you send it on ahead 
as you invested in people who are going there. Because when you die, everything you haven't given away will be left behind. Did you know that when people die, they have burial suits that you can get to bury them in? And the difference between a normal suit of clothes and a burial suit, the burial suit doesn't have any real pockets because you don't need them. Why put in the extra fabric, right? Not going to use them. Good friend of mine was telling us about casket, this funeral director trying to, you know, well, this is the most expensive casket we had. What a ripoff. There was a, there was a drawer inside of it, and he pulled it out and said, this is a memory box. I said, what is he going to need that for? <laughs> it's a memory box. He said, he sent all of his memories on ahead, man. He doesn't need a memory box. Not going to have any pulling of those things out and looking at them in the box. Not going to happen. Jesus said, store it up in heaven. You store it up on earth and you can store it up in heaven. That's your choice. How do you invest for eternity? Use your money to do good. Bible says, always ready to share with others whatever God has given you. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity, and you will be living a fruitful life down here as well. So thank the Lord for that passage. There's no greater investment than the kingdom of God, and it's protected. It's proven. It pays great dividends and has zero risk. There's no greater investment. Giving is an investment for eternity. Number seven, giving blesses me in return. It's stated over and over and over in the scripture. God blesses those who give to his work. Pastor Tyler mentioned that this morning when he was ready to help us receive our tithe. A good example of that is in the book of 1 Kings, a guy by the name of Elijah the prophet. And there had been a famine in the land for a very long period, about a seven-year period. As a result, everybody was suffering. I mean, it was severe. No water falling from the heavens. None, not a drop. And they got down to where the cupboards were bare in every home. And everybody was eking out a meager existence. Many had already died. And Elijah asks a woman who was basically down to her last meal to do something for him. And he says, put God first and make a meal for the prophet and then watch what happens. And this is what the story says. And the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath. Remember, God dries up the brook. The brook brook is now, because of the famine, no longer able to provide Elijah water. And the ravens stopped dropping him in and out burgers every afternoon. As we've been going there a lot lately. And so he says, go to Zarephath. Now, he's being hunted, by the way. He doesn't want to come out of his kind of his seclusion because the queen uh, uh, of the nation wants him dead. Okay, and and God says, you go up north. You travel through the state of Israel all the way to Zarephath, and there's a woman there who will feed you. And listen to this. I have given her my instruction. God had a woman in that village, and God had spoken to her. That's a passage. Man, I want to I dig into that one. That one's a really kind of cool passage. So he goes to Zarephath, and he arrives at the gates of the city, saw a widow gathering sticks. Now, there could have been whom, how many widows doing that, and women doing that? And he says to her, would you please bring me a cup of water? And as she was going to get it, 
he also called to her, would you bring me a bite of bread too? But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house, only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to cook our last meal. And then my son and I are going to die. She's preparing their last meal. And Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go ahead and cook that last meal, but bake me a little loaf of bread first. And afterwards, there's going to be enough food for you and your son. And this is what the Lord says. There will always be enough flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rains and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat from her supply of flour and oil for many days. For no matter how much they used, there was always just enough left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. What a great story, because it says several things. First, it says the best time to give is when I'm in need. That's a very important principle, because I need God's help. I need God's help to get out of debt. God's got to supernaturally help me to learn how to stop the debt flow. I need God's help to get going. Second thing it says is, I cannot outgive God. <clears throat> I can't outgive him. Third thing it says is, if I put God first, he'll take care of my needs. Fourth thing it says, I'm going to reap always more than I sow. God will take care of my needs. God blesses those who bless him. Proverbs 22 Generous people will be blessed. Then how does God bless me when I put him first in my finances? He can bless me by increasing my income from sources I had no knowledge of them coming. He does beyond what we ask or even think. We've heard about testimonies about how, how God's done that. We hear that on Wednesdays, particularly of people who jump up and go, you know, I was up against the wall. I didn't know how, what was going to happen next. Out of nowhere, God provided more because I started tithing a few weeks back. He can also bless me by decreasing my expenses in ways I never, ever could have imagined. He can bless me by protecting my possessions or sustaining that old car by a couple of years longer, right? He makes it last a little longer instead of letting it die as it could have immediately. Or the appliances don't go on the blink. And God protects you. A lot of ways God can do it. I need to explain to you the difference, though, between faith and bargaining. God blesses faith. God does not bless bargaining. Faith is when I give to God in advance. Sacrificially, I give to him first. Bargaining is when I say to God, help me close this deal and I'll give some of it back. There's a little difference there. A guy says, okay, God, help me close this million-dollar deal, and I'll give you a few thousand out of it. Is that faith? Is that sacrifice? Is that the way God's principles work? Nope. God's, God does not play, let's make a deal. <laughs> he doesn't play that game. God doesn't bargain. And I have people say, well, I made a deal with God. I didn't get any blessing. And I said, God, he said, he said to me, well, I, I promised God I... You know, if that $50,000 deal came through, I was going to give some of it to the church. That's not having faith. You're not giving. You're just trying to make a deal with God. That's a bargain. God doesn't bargain. It's not the way he does it. Faith is when I say, God, I'm going to give even when I don't see how it works. I'm going to do it as a personal sacrifice and commitment to you because I trust you. We're going to postpone 
that thing that I want to get right now, and I'm going to put you first by bringing the tithe to your house. Then watch God go to work in your life because every promise has a premise. God says, you do this, you put me first, then I will do this. So you prime the pump first. So you take the little water you have in the cup when you're very thirsty. I learned that at my uncle's house up in Vermont. There's no water going to come out of there until I take the only water there is. And if I get rid of this water, I won't have any. So if I drink it, well, I might quench my thirst for the moment. Mm, But if I use it and I pour it down into that pump while I'm pumping it, then all of a sudden I get buckets of water coming up out of it. Deuteronomy 15, give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. You want to circle the words in all and in everything. A pretty all-encompassing promise he makes. And there's a premise by putting him first. It's pretty all. God says, put me first. I will bless all and everything you do. So I kind of feel sorry for people who haven't learned to tithe, really do. Because when a person doesn't tithe, what it means is they lack confidence in God. It means I'm afraid to trust him. I can't believe he'll keep his promise. I know the Bible says if I put him first, he'll take care of me. But I, 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 I just can't do that. That's sad. It's really sad. What's amazing to me is there are some people who will trust God for their salvation for their eternal destiny, but they don't have enough faith to trust God to take care of them. Even the birds of the field know better than that. What's the logic of that? If I can trust God for my eternal destiny, don't you think I can trust God with a career move or finance or giving? It's the same God. You can miss out on so many blessings. I challenge you, don't let Satan rob you of one minute of the blessing that God has for you. There's some of these moments you can't make back up in life. Number eight, giving brings me joy. Yep, it brings me joy. It feels good to give. It really does. You know, why does he smile when he gives? That feels good. God blesses my heart when I do that. And you know that only if you are a giver. Yeah, it brings smile to your face. There are only really two kinds of people in life. There are givers and there are takers. That's pretty much the sum of it. You're going to be one or the other. You're either going to be a giver or you're going to be a taker. You get to make the decision because God's trusted you and put it in your hand. You get to choose. The only thing you need to remember is one day the owner will come to you, the manager, and say, now give me an account of what you did with what I own. The takers are the unhappy people in life. The givers are truly the happy people in life. Jesus said like this, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. And do you know why we have such a raucous time, many of us, on Sundays here at Calvary, and a wonderful time of expression and joy, especially in the evening? Because we're givers. We, We show up to give. This could be the most generous church in the whole NorCal Nevada district. It could be. If everybody just simply start tithing and then giving offering when we have need, we don't have to have enormous incomes to do this. 
But that's the level of sacrifice that will make this church unlike any other organization in the community. We focus on building on our history where we came from, looking to our source, building to look out from where we are now because we've got to continue to move into the areas of God's purpose for us. And and building to look forward. What's the future going to look like if Jesus tarries? We've got a plan. The best way to demonstrate it is through generosity. The Bible says, you already excel in faith, he's told the church at Corinth, and in knowledge, and enthusiasm, and in love. Now add generosity to those virtues. Not only it means are we going to become doers of the word? Do we take the steps of faith? In the vernacular, putting our money where our mouth is. So we're, we're getting ready to celebrate fall harvest season and Myra Lemons will be ready in about a month. Thanksgiving and Christmas. For many, this is your first opportunity to see God do a miracle in the area of your finances. And my challenge to you as your pastor is go for it. I'm not going to say just do it because we pushed that one off the side now. Okay, not just do it. No, I'm telling you, go for it. And as somebody who's been through financial challenges many times, go for it. I can tell you from experience, don't be afraid to go out on the limb because that's where the fruit is. And you won't get it hanging over here. God will work with you and he will help you. And, And some still don't know how to tithe or to give beyond tithe and you get all uptight and you're all worried, stop worrying about it. First, simply say, Father, I want to learn to be a follower of your son. And Father, I will obey your word and I will do what you ask me to do. Because obedience brings the blessing. And as I grow into that, you're going to teach me how to sacrifice because that's a part of who I am as one to become like Jesus. And if I've never tithed before, I'm going to start. I'm going to begin. That's where you start. I'm going to give you the first tenth because it's yours. And those of you that are financially strapped, maybe out of work, things are tight, overspent, don't worry. Calvary Christian Center loves you. God loves you. And he knows your circumstance. And just simply make the commitment, I'm going to put God first. Watch God open doors that you can't open. No matter how hard you try and how many resumes you send out, only God can open those doors. And if you want his favor, he'll open the windows of heaven. He can open doors. Just start saying, Father, my intention, my heart is to put you first. If you're in a tough financial situation, eyes are closed for just a minute. If you're in a tough spot financially, we're going to pray for you. And I'm not just words I'm preaching to you. If you're in a tough financial situation, you need a job, put your hand up. Eyes closed. Need a job. Need something to break loose for you in your career. You want God's favor and your blessing if you're in a tough spot. If the debt has overwhelmed you, put your hand up. It's okay. Father, you see the people with their hands lifted. Their intention is to love you because they're here and they're in church and they've expressed worship to you. 
They want to put you first. And they know they've got to dig out of the hole that they're in. I pray in the name of your great son that you'll help them by encouraging them to trust you, obey you as those two go together, and then you will open for them opportunities and the blessings that you have for them, whether it be a job or a way for that debt to be reduced or both, whatever the case may be. And I command that to happen because debt does not come from you. It comes from the adversary who binds us. And I reject it and rebuke it and break it. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Thank you, Lord. And just a reminder, attitude is more important than the size of the check, the amount. 2 Corinthians, and I close. If you are really eager to give, then it isn't important how much you have to give. That little widow in the temple that day was eager. She didn't have much, but man, she was eager. That was important to Jesus. Doesn't care about the amount, it's the attitude. I want to see a miracle. I want, I want faith. I want my commitment, my love, my gratitude. All these things. I want to be eager. And we're all at different stages and places in life and levels of income and different seasons. None of us can give the same amount, probably. We have various and variable incomes. That's not the issue at all. Equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. All of us, no matter where we are, are still required the same. The tenth, equal sacrifice. I don't have to match somebody else's gift and say, well, I, man, you know, we're getting a, a contest where we're auctioning off stuff. <laughs> no, not about that. Equal sacrifice. I'm willing to do what you ask me to do, Lord, and that's all God requires of me. Each follower of Jesus does his or her part. So why do we give? Because of what Jesus did for us. What he did for us, that means I have an obligation to share that with as many other people as I can. Because once we have received from him, we are forever obligated to take that message to as many as we can find who need to hear the same loving truth from our creator. Let's stand together. And let's lift our hands and bless the Lord for just a moment.